The Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, Uncensored. This morning, Lead Pastor David Fossil directs our attention to the first part of the Lord's Prayer. We're challenged with ways to avoid four don'ts when it comes to prayer. Listen as Pastor Dave helps us see that prayer impacts our faith journey. And then he reminds us that we have quick and immediate access to God who wants to communicate with us. Go ahead and grab your study guide that's in your program. That was Michael Jr. He's a comedian that goes around to Christian conferences and churches and and fun things. That's what he has to say about prayer. You know, prayer is pretty important to all of us. Um, uh, prayer happens in waiting rooms at, at hospitals. It happens before final exams at the end of the semester. It happens on football fields. It happens just before a big interview of a job we want. Prayer is, is a part of who we are as a people, right? I, I looked at some statistics and I wasn't surprised to see that 70% of church going folks, that's you, 70% of us, seven out of 10 pray on a daily basis. That didn't surprise me, right? What did surprise me was the second statistic. 40% of non-churched people. These are people that don't go to church, don't read their Bible. 40% of non-church people pray on a regular basis. Prayer is a big deal to us. And yet, how many of us, show of hands, I'm just curious, how many of you would freely admit, I wish I was a little bit better at prayer? A lot of us. We know it's important, and yet we, I don't know, we struggle to be disciplined at it, or we start praying, we're not sure what to say, when to say it, how to say it, right? And and then we run into people at church, and Michael Jr. kind of spoke to that, and they seem like, you know, prayer giants, or sometimes they're called prayer warriors, and they do the opposite. Instead of encouraging us, sometimes we feel intimidated with that. And Well, this morning, we are continuing our series called Uncensored through Matthew chapter 5, through chapter 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon, most famous sermon Jesus ever preaches. Surprisingly enough, this topic of prayer comes up several times. We're going to be in this topic of prayer for the next couple of weeks, right? And if you have your Bibles or pull it up on your phone, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to start today. Matthew chapter 6, and we are going to begin reading verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And uh, my, my Bible, the, the words are in red, which means Jesus is speaking, right? And in verse 9, Matthew chapter 6, here's what we read. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily, you know, you know let's just stop right there. Do I really need to go on? You guys know it, don't you? I peeked. I saw some of you mouthing it. I heard a couple people of you saying it, right? Do you know this is the most recognized and memorized passage of Scripture in the entire Bible? I'm not saying the most famous or memorized verse. The most famous and memorized chunk of Scripture is this part section right here. Have you ever been at a funeral and someone starts saying this and everybody starts reciting it? Or someone dies or someone may think something major is happening and everybody starts praying this prayer? They've memorized it. Even non-church, I don't read my Bible people, know this prayer by memory. And honestly, that may be part of our problem. We have taken the Lord's Prayer and we've turned it into more of a mantra. We've turned it into more of a script 
something that we we say word for word. It's not that there's anything wrong with it. But when Jesus is, is giving this, it's more like a model of prayer, not a mantra. He's more giving us an outline of different topics and different ways and different things we should consider when we're praying. And so what we're going to do is literally we're going to go word by word, break down what this means and why it's there. Right. Uh, another thing I think mistake we make is that, you know, before he starts telling us how to pray, do you realize he tells us how not to pray? Sometimes that's just as important, whether you're a coach trying to teach your team or whether you're a cook trying to teach someone how to cook or school, what not to do at work or what not to do sometimes is as important as what to do. So, well, what I'm going to do is kind of look at the preamble to the Lord's Prayer first. And here's what Jesus says. You can look at it in your Bibles or you can follow on the screen. When you pray, do not. That's the first do not or don't of this section. Don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, he'll reward you. When you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans. They, they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. There's four don'ts that I want you to write down. Here's the first one. Don't pray to impress other people. Don't pray to impress others. You know, he says, I don't want you to be like the Pharisees or the righteous or these people who stand up in church, right? And they they make sure that they pray so that other people can see them. Or in that context, they literally would pray on the street corner, right? And they would pray on the street corner because they want the rest of us to see them praying so that we think, oh my goodness, look at how godly they are. They're really godly, you know? Don't do that. You, You know what I've noticed? Sometimes we do just the opposite, though. Have you ever have you ever thought about maybe we don't don't pray to impress others. Some of us don't pray because we're intimidated by others. Some of us are in small group, right? Our small group Bible study and it's prayer time. We've just had the study and some of us don't pray because instinctively we're like, oh, my goodness, I can't pray as good as so and so in the group. Right. They're the they're the prayer champion, the prayer warrior, you know, just kind of like the the Michael Jr. clip. They have all these fancy verses that they quote during scripture and these ways of saying things. I can't pray like that. And sometimes we're actually intimidated by others. And I I guess the point of this first bullet point, don't make prayer about others, whether you're trying to impress them or intimidated by them. Make prayer about God. Okay. the second don't is don't mindlessly pray or recite your prayers. Uh, in, in the NIV, it talks about babbling in many words. The old King James would say, don't pray with vain repetition. It's this idea that God doesn't want you to pray from a script. Um, there are, have you ever been anywhere when someone reads their prayer? Have you ever seen someone do that? Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but sometimes, some would say even many times, is that when a prayer is read, right? Let's pray. And then they take their prayer and they read it. Sometimes it's, it's very, it comes across as cold, comes across as calculated. And, and God says, I just, I kind of want more of a conversation. I want a little more spontaneity. I don't want a script when you pray, right? Now there's some great prayer books out there and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. Just be careful, be careful because God's wanting what much more of something coming from here instead of just reading something all off of a sheet. It's interesting that many of us, though, however, we that I've noticed that some of us do this kind of prayer during mealtime. It's the same prayer. 
There are some people that use the same words, literally the same prayer, right? And, and it turns into kind of a script. Some of us try and be funny. Have you ever heard this one? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Thank you, God, for feeding me. Okay, let's eat. Let's go. Here we go. You know, rub-a-dub-dub. Thank you, God, for the grub or something like that, right? Someone's trying to be funny and off we go and eat. We do this with children, too. Have you ever noticed that some of us teach kids how to pray? And sometimes we teach them kind of scripted prayers and we're trying to get them into this thing called prayer. Um, I remember growing up, uh, there was a crocheted prayer that had been framed and put on my on my wall. My parents are actually here at church this morning. I don't think I've ever told them this. That prayer freaked me out. It did. I had paid a lot of therapy sessions because of this prayer. No, not really. But here's how the prayer goes. You've all heard it, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then the next phrase freaked me out. If I should die before I wake, what? What's going on? Am I going to die? What's going to happen, right? And then the last phrase, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. In other words, I hope you're going to make it, right? So... Be that as it may, that was just something I had to struggle with growing up. Don't recite or mindlessly pray is all he's saying, right? The third, don't. Don't trick yourself into not praying. Now, I'm going to spend just a little bit more time here. The last phrase of the preamble before he gets in the Lord's Prayer, he throws out this phrase, Jesus does, that your father already knows what you need. Have you ever intentionally or unintentionally in your mind thought, well, God is God. He knows everything I need. So... So why am I praying anyway? You ever thought that? Well, I mean, why am I asking if he already knows? There's other passages in the New Testament that says he's a good God. He's a good father, wants to give us what we want and what we need. So what the heck am I doing? He already knows that I need it. Why am I praying? And Jesus, he, he kind of addresses this issue and goes, hey, don't, don't play mental games with yourself. Don't trick yourself into thinking that, that you, you shouldn't pray, right? The easy answer, I'm going to get into a little bit next week. The easy answer is part of us make that, that mistake when we assume that the only thing to pray is just asking for stuff. There's so much more to prayer, like confession. Oh, goodness gracious, God, that, that thing that I said, that thing that I did was wrong. I'm sorry. There's thanksgiving. Thank you for this and thank you for that and thank you for this. And so, right? There's worship and adoration. There's so much pr- more to prayer than just asking for stuff. If all it was was asking for stuff, then maybe this principle would work, but it doesn't, right? The, I guess the big picture, let me show you this next slide. When you're asking for stuff, you need to know that prayer actually impacts God's mind and response. I hesitate to say it changes God's mind because there's some verses that imply different things. But the point is, is that when you and I pray, it actually influences God. He is not some robotic being that has already predetermined how your prayers actually matter. That's all you got to know for the moment. They actually matter. The further we get down this philosophical, theological, winding road, yes, we try and we get to a point where it's hard to explain certain things. But there are so many verses. Your Prayers matter, okay? Second part, however, is that prayer actually impacts my own heart and my faith journey. Even if I don't get what I'm asking for, prayer impacts me. Prayer impacts you. So don't trick yourself into thinking you shouldn't pray. The last don't is this one. Don't stop working or learning how to pray. I realize there's a double negative there, but just hang with me. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, When the Lord's prayer is presented in the gospel of Luke, it's a different context. 
Gospel of Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching to a big crowd. They're all on a hill. They're all on some sort of mountain. And God's kind of taking the highlights of all his sermons. He's packaging it into one. He's giving it all at once. But in the Gospel of Luke, the context is different. The context is not a big group of people on a hill. The context seems to be Jesus and his disciples around a campfire. And one of the disciples say, Jesus, you're kind of getting us ready to do this ministry thing. Could you teach us how to pray? Teach us how to pray. I find it interesting what they don't ask for. They don't say, teach us how to preach a good sermon. Teach us how to be a good leader. Teach us how to do an evangelistic outreach. Teach us how to do a killer vacation Bible school. Teach us how to work with the board at our church. Doesn't say any of that. Teach us how to pray. You know, you know what that, why that encourages me? It, it encourages me because apparently it means and suggests you and I can improve at prayer. We can learn. We can get better at it. That's good news for us. We can learn how to pray better. And that's part of what's happening this morning. Some of you may live through it because of your age. Some of you are history buffs and you recognize this right here. The Cuban Missile Crisis um, happened in October 1962. And this was during the Cold War, which was a period in our history where there weren't actually battles. Um, but there was this Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States. We almost went to war right here because of this. Here's what happened. The Russians were putting missiles in Cuba. We didn't like that. Uh, we had missiles in Italy and Turkey. They didn't like that. When we found out they had missiles in, in Cuba, the United States and JFK put a blockade around Cuba and it was a mess. It was a hot mess. And if you live through it, you know the tension that was not just in the United States, but in the world, because the two superpowers were really close to going to war. Really close. You had JFK. He was our president. You had Nikita Khrushchev. And of course, the, 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 the leader of Cuba at the time, Fidel Castro. And it was a mess. Thank goodness that we didn't go to war. Thank goodness. But I wanted to point out to you, does anyone know one of the major diplomatic changes that happened between the United States and the Soviet Union because of that? Does anyone know? It's called the red phone. The red phone. Have you ever heard the term, the red phone, the red phone that's on the president's desk? Part of the problem during the Cuban Missile Crisis is they realized the Soviet Union and the United States didn't have a way to quickly and easily communicate with one another. The president had something to say. He would have to run to the, to the diplomat at Washington, and they would have to say to him, and the diplomat would have to get a hold of Khrushchev, and then Khrushchev would have to go to his diplomat, and then the diplomat would have to go back to... And it was a mess. And they said, you know what? We're the two super world powers. We got to figure out a way, because we have a feeling we're going to be bumping heads for a long time. We got to figure out a way. At any point in time, the president can pick up the phone and talk to the premier of the Soviet Union. So they came up with this concept of the red phone. Quick, immediate access. Do you realize you have the same privilege with God? Quick and immediate access. You know, I, we, we've heard this concept of prayer so much, we don't realize how privileged we are. Quick and immediate access to the creator of the world. And here's the good news. You're not nagging him when you show up. He wants to communicate with you. Prayer is a discipline we have to keep working at. We have to keep growing at. We have to keep improving at. It's critical in our spiritual journey, okay? This is the preamble. 
things we shouldn't do. Now we get to the actual Lord's Prayer. We're going to cover half of it this week, half of it next week. You're going to see, even in the first concept, first idea, what we're going to cover, we're going to go slowly. We're going to focus on the word our. Our Father is how it starts. Our Father. First word, right? Now this is important because it implies something about our faith. There's two implications here as it relates to our faith. First of all, is that I have a personal individual component to my faith. There is a personal individual component to my faith. Psalm chapter 23 begins and says, my shepherd, personal pronoun, my shepherd, personal pronoun. Let's get the next slide up there. My shepherd, right? There's a personal individual component to my faith. But there's also, the Lord's Prayer suggests, a corporate or group component to my faith. When I pray, I am not to start out, my Father. Every word matters. He doesn't want you to start that way. No, our Father. Our Father. Not my Father, our Father. Right? So the first bullet points is this idea that, hey, it's great that your parents or your grandma is a Christian, but God, God doesn't have grandkids, so you have to make a personal commitment. But when it comes to this prayer component, there's a corporate or group component to my faith. Our father. What's the very immediate implication as it applies to my prayer life? Here's what here's what the implication is. Apparently, it's important that I pray one on one with God. But it might be just as important that I get together with other group of believers and pray in a group. So let me ask you, when's the last time you got together with three, five, ten other Christians in a group and prayed? Do you realize that's part of your Christian journey and learning how to do that? Oh, but I get nervous when I do that. That's okay. That's okay. You'll, you'll work, at, work that out, but you gotta, you got to start doing it. There's a corporate component to prayer. Honestly, it's why we have that room called the prayer room. That's a big part of it. You could pray for your own issues, your own problems right where you sit. First bullet point. But there's something about getting together with other Christians and praying with them or having them pray for you. Our father. He's our father. Collective. The second word is this word father or dad. Um, again, it's interesting that what we are not told to call him. Would it have been accurate if Jesus said, OK, when you pray, here's what I want you to do. Start by saying our commander in chief. Would that have been accurate? Is he our commander in chief? Absolutely. He could have said that. Reporting for duty, our commander in chief. He didn't do that. He could have said, address him as savior, redeemer, provider, creator. Didn't say any of that. He said, when you pray, here's what I want you to do. I want you to address him as father. Literally, the word there is dad. It's an even more intimate term for a father, dad. You know, when I come home from the office or something, it's interesting. My, my kids, when I walk in the door, they don't greet me with, uh, all minor procreator of the fossil family, sustainer and supreme ruler of our home. We greet thee and beseech thee. They don't talk to me that way. Right? I wish they did. That would be kind of cool, but they don't. I remember when they were young, especially when I would come in the house, you know what they would yell? One word. Daddy! Now, not so much. They're teenagers, so it's more grunting, you know, as they're looking at their cell phone. Hey, Dad, what's going on? You know the one word I love to hear from their lips? Dad. It's just, maybe it's just me. Every once in a while, I hear, I hear kids call their parents by their first name. There's nothing wrong with that, per se. But personally, 
you do that with me, my kids, you're out of the will. <laughs> it's not hard. You can call me Dave. That's fine. I just like the, the <laughs> I just like the word dad. I like the word dad. Do you know what? So does your heavenly father. Dad. By the way, don't superimpose your earthly father and any of those issues on your heavenly father. Some of us were really fortunate to have a great dad. I was fortunate to have a great dad. Some of us didn't have that great of a dad. Some of us are in the middle. Don't, he's just trying to give you an idea. He's your heavenly father. He's the perfect form of what that relationship should be. By the way, this is a, this is a radical change for people as they think of God. You know, the, the Romans, they would, they would picture God as someone, you know, like he was playing chess and we're the pieces on the chessboard, just manipulating us. You know, the, the Greeks, don't upset God. He's going to hit, send a thunderbolt down and, you know, the, the Jews even sometimes pictured God as, as the principal, you know, and the only time you get to see the principal is when you mess up and you got to go in the principal's office, you know, when you're in trouble, right? Just this last week, my family watched Wonder Woman, Right. Did you even know Wonder All these movies, they have little theology. You know what Wonder Woman tries to teach about God? That idea? God is a capricious God and his main job is to just, you know, create wars and conflicts among people. I know it's just a fun story, but Jesus shows up and goes, hey, check it out. The Romans were wrong and the Greeks were wrong and the Jews were wrong and Wonder Woman's wrong. Here's what he is. He's your dad. He's your dad. And that kind of relationship, Right. So, so what's the application for you when you start praying? Let me, let me give you two real quick. When you pray to him, when you talk to him, do it as you would a dad, not a four-star general, not a judge, not a police officer or the president or your principal at school. Every time we talk to any of these people, there's ways to address them that are appropriate. He wants you to address him as dad. His dad and what that implies. The second thing, and this is a big deal in a room this size, this is big. You have to embrace him as dad. In other words, join the family in your study guide. I think I have the verses. Let me find my study guide. Uh, Second page, bottom of the second page. Check this out. John chapter one, verse 12. Yet all of you who did receive him or Jesus to those who believed in Jesus name, he gave the right to become children of God. You've helped. You've heard me mention this before. We are not all God's children. That gets thrown around in culture and someone's accepting an Oscar or they're saying, we're all God's children. No, we're not. This book says we're all God's creation, but you're only God's child until, until you actually do something. You have to, you have to, you have to sign up essentially for the family. There's an application process. Look at what it is. Galatians chapter three, verse 26. You are children of God. Here it comes, the condition. Through faith in Christ Jesus. You don't get to be part of the family just because you're alive. In a room this size, I know some of you, you've got this Jesus thing right here in your head. You believe him, but he wants it right here. He wants you to trust. Trust Jesus as your savior. There's two benefits to you. Benefit number one, the big one, is you get eternal life with God forever in heaven. Big benefit, big plus. But today we're talking about prayer. You want to know the prayer benefit? The prayer benefit is God hears you or listens to you more carefully and closely. Right? My, my daughter Julia is sitting right over here. Right? When she comes to me and says, hey, dad, it's me. Promise you, I'm going to listen to her much more than I would listen to any other 12, 13 year old. Why? Because she's my kid. 
That's how it should work. It's the same thing with your heavenly father. Hey, dad, it's me. Versus you're not part of the family yet. So I just I want to encourage you. Some of you haven't made that step yet. It's going to help not only your eternal state, it's going to help your prayer life. Right. Our father. And then it's this next phrase. Hallowed be your name. Let's talk about the name thing first. Um, It's this idea back in the day that someone's name referred to their background, uh, an event in their life, their character, their reputation, their profession. We even did it a little bit in the birth of our country. Right. There's three or four Johns living in town. How do we know which John it is? Well, we're going to call this guy John Carpenter because his profession and this guy we're going to call John Smith. Right. And some of those names stuck as surnames. Well, back in the times of Jesus, it was even more significant. Right. So they would literally halfway through someone's life change their name. So someone goes from Abram to Abraham and Jacob to to Israel and all these name changes because of this. And so someone's name is significant. So it's not that the name Jesus, Jesus, is extra special, just the name. It's the reputation behind the name. It's the background behind the name. It's the events in the life of Jesus, what he did for you. It's his character, his profession. What's his profession on his business card? Savior of the world. Pretty important profession, right? It's all those things that make the name of Jesus special, beautiful, powerful. It's what it represents. So now you and I are told, based upon the name, we are to hallow the name of of Jesus. Hallow his name. That's not a fancy way of saying hello. Okay. With an accent or something. What does it mean to hallow the name? Let me put it up there. There's a couple definitions. Uh, it's to respect. It's to enhance. It's to value. That's the idea here. It actually, it, it, it comes from a commandment. One of the 10 commandments, Exodus chapter 20, you must not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. Don't misuse his name. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Oh, it happened about 15 years ago. Some of you, I've told some of you this story, but Joshua was, I don't know how, he must have been seven-ish. He was young. He was about this tall. And uh, I, I performed a wedding. And as kind of thank you for doing the wedding, these, these people gave me a couple Raider tickets. So I'm like, I'm going to take my son, right? He'd never been to a game. So we go, we go to the, to, 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 to Oakland Coliseum. We, we, I didn't realize that, right? Because I don't know the tickets and where they're all. We ended up sitting in the black hole. Some of you reckon, this is where people are dressed up as Darth Vader and they got spikes and right, you know, and it, that's where we ended up sitting, right? It's very rowdy, right? And now two problems. Problem number one, he's this tall. So he, we're at field level and he's having trouble seeing the game. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that every time the Raiders did something bad or poorly, which at the time we were really sucky, right? So a lot of interceptions and fumbles and missed field goals. Every time that would happen, choice words would start flying, right, in the black hole. I mean, there was some awful words said nowhere near as much as you hear at a Niner game. But basically, right, that was happening. Hang on. Stay with me. So... That's what's going on. So I make the executive decision. Okay, I'm going to take Josh. We're going to go up to the second deck up there and we're going to get away from this mess and we're going to be able to watch the game. So we went up there. We enjoyed the game. We had a good time. We go home. We're having dinner, getting ready for dinner. We sit down at the dinner table and Sandy says to Josh, Josh, why don't you pray for the meal? So <laughs> he prays and he says, dear God, 
Thank you so much I got to see the Raiders today. Dear God, we happen to win. Dear God, thank you that we won the game, my first football game that I ever got to see. And then he added, dear God, help me never say any of those awful words I learned today at the Raider game. (laughs) Which I thought was an appropriate prayer because at the time Sandy was working on her cussing as well. So it was a good family (laughs) prayer, right? You know what Joshua heard in the black hole for the very first time? He heard one of the ways we break this commandment. Sometimes we break the commandment. We fail to hallow the name or respect the name or honor the name of God by using his name as a curse. Right. So the name God is used or Jesus is used. And then very quickly thereafter, we add the word damn. Right. And it's I don't know, someone cuts us off or something happens at a football game or something at work. Right. And it becomes a cuss word. Something happens. We're upset. And I just as someone that cares for you and as your spiritual coach, you want to be I'm assuming I'm hoping that especially in this crowd that that's not slipping out of your mouth. And if it is, you got to figure out a way to bite your tongue because it's not good. It's not wise. Having said that, some of us make the mistake of assuming that that's the only way we fail to hallow his name. I don't curse, so I'm fine. Let me tell you the more common way that I don't think many of us realize we might be getting in trouble with this this principle. It's not that we're cursing. It's that we're using the name of God casually. It's casual problem, not cursing problem. Let me let me explain what I mean. I'm going to I'm going to give you three word three letters. O M G. That's a very common, common phrase that we use or letters that we use to signify, oh, my God. Right. Except that now when we use that phrase, it's normally something good. Oh, my God, girl, you look good. You look hot. You've been working out. Right. Oh, my God. Look at the weather. It's beautiful outside. Right. Right. Or we use the word Jesus as a way to signify. Jesus Christ, this is good steak. This is delicious. Come on, have we ever done that? We don't curse, but you've just used the name God, the name Jesus in a casual way. You're not cursing his name, but you're certainly not using it in reference to who he really is and what he stands for. So I'm I'm suggesting maybe you just come up with another adjective. You know what I'm saying? Hallow his name. In other words, respect his name, enhance his value, right? Be careful. Just be careful how you knew when you say the word Jesus, mean it when you say the word God or Holy Spirit, mean it right real quickly. How you do that? There's three ways. I want you to write these down. Reverence his name, represent his name, rely on his name. I don't have these verses for you. You can look them up. The references are there. But Psalm 61 says you are blessed. I'm assuming you want that when you reverence the name of God. Now, listen carefully. I'm going to give you the example. This is what it sounds like in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to reverence who you are. I want to lift you up. I honor you for who you are and start going through his character because you're holy. You don't make mistakes because you're pure, because you're you're all powerful, because you're all knowing, because you're merciful, because you're patient, because you're loving. Do all those things benefit you? Yes or no? Of course they do. Of course they do. God, I lift you up, your name up, your character, your reputation, your works. I honor you, I respect you, I reverence you for who you are and what you've done. 
That's what that prayer sounds like. Don't just jump into all the stuff you need. Start with maybe reverence who he is. Next is represent his name. Colossians 3, there's a verse that says, whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. So when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go back home, when you're driving on the highway, whatever it is you do, people should look at you and think, hmm, something different about them. I wonder if they're Christians. They shouldn't be thinking, look at them. And they call themselves Christians. So what is it with you? How you live and how you behave, are you representing his name one way or the other? So this is what it sounds like in your prayer. I'm trying to give you an example. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm heading over to work in an hour. I'm heading over to what I'm going golfing. And you know how I am when I go golfing and I slice the ball. Father, help me represent your name well. When I go to work, help me be a good worker. Father, I pray that I would enhance your name because of how I, what I say and what I do. That's what you're asking for. That's your, and then you're like, dear God, the, the other day I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. And I realized that people not only thought poorly of me, but they, they maybe probably also thought poorly of you. That's what that prayer sounds like. And the last one is rely on his name. Philippians chapter 2 says that someday at the na- everyone will bow a knee at the name of Jesus. By the way... The question is not, will you bow your knee? The only question is, when will you bow the knee? You see, some of us are like, I don't think so. I'm not bowing down no knee. Okay, you do your thing. But at some point in time, you'll be forced to bow a knee. And at that point in time, the consequences are quite severe. So you either bow your knee now out of respect and reverence and and acceptance of who he is, or you are forced to bow a knee. But this, this understanding that before someone else, we don't do it in our culture, but if, but, but if anyone does this and bows a knee before someone else, you're acknowledging humbly, you are better than I am. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I bow a knee to your will. So here's how this prayer sounds like for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, I read a couple verses. I've been trying to read a chapter a day and I came across this one thing you want me to do and I'm going to bow my knee to you. I'm going to rely on your word. I'm going to rely on your wisdom. And I'm going to do what you want me to do, even though sometimes it doesn't feel right. You see, that's what it means to hallow his name. There's so much we could talk about here. Reverence, represent, rely. Last thing we're going to cover today talks about the kingdom of God. We want the kingdom of God to come here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, it goes without saying where there's a kingdom, there's a king. There's a king and his name is Jesus. He's in charge. He's the man. He's the king of the kingdom. Now, I'm giving you a definition for what is the kingdom of God. I took this right out of one of the theology books I have on my shelf in my office to make sure I get this right. The kingdom of God is the rule and the dominion of God's will. The rule and the dominion of God's rule. His kingdom is being established. Now, question I'm going to ask for an answer. Is this happening here on earth because that's the prayer right your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven your, i want your your kingdom and your will here is that happening yes or no what mcfly hello mcfly hello <laughs> some of you are saying yes some of you say no you see your confusion was the same as the jews and the disciples confusion you know what the answer is it's yes and no all the, uh, theologians say it's yes and no. Here, here's, 
You see, here's what we're going to do. His kingdom, his kingdom has already conquered this soul, this man right here. His kingdom is already in charge. He rules my life. He rules many of your lives. Spiritually speaking, this has begun to happen and spread. The minute Jesus comes and the minute he dies and raises from the dead, that's just as important as his death. He starts introducing this new covenant, the gospel news of Jesus Christ, and the kingdom is taken over. And oh, not everybody accept it. Not everybody believe it, but it is spreading and it is conquering more and more people and his kingdom is being established. Yes, it is happening in that way, but it's not happening politically, is it? And it's not happening economically and it's not happening socially. And the confusion you had when I asked the question was the same confusion and misunderstanding the Jews had because Jesus would stand up and he says, I got good news. The kingdom of, of God is at hand. It is right around the corner. Let's get ready. The kingdom of God is coming. And the Jews thought the whole kingdom is coming. Oh, my goodness. Thank goodness. The Romans are going to get kicked out and we're going to become a society that that is a lock and step in terms of what God wants. His rule and his dominion will be complete. And, and Jesus is like, well, time out. Time out. I'm going to start right here. I'm going to start right here. Now, I'm going to get to the politics at some point. I'm going to get to the economics at some point. I'm going to get to the social life at some point. You know, you know what that is? That, that's the last book of the Bible called the book of Revelation. Believe me, at some point in time, he he will command everything in all society. But we're not we're not going to do that right now. Not right now. Your kingdom come. You know, of all the principles This is the one I could talk about the most because this is the one. There are more examples, different ways to pray. Look at on your study guide. I think it's the last page. There's four four suggestions I'm going to give you. Number one, pray for God's kingdom evangelistically. Mark chapter one, verse 15. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is coming near. That's what we're talking about, right? The kingdom of God is coming near. How do I make this happen? Look at the next phrase. Believe the good news. Believe the good news. Here's how you pray. Bullet point number one. Listen carefully. You don't want to just write the notes and not learn this. Here's how it goes. Dear God, I want to pray for Mark, the guy who works works next to me in the cubicle at, at work. He is far from God and he's never been to church. He has no interest in you, but he likes me. He doesn't even know it yet. I'm trying to be like you. And he likes me. He likes me without even realizing it. Or likes you without even realizing it. Dear God, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would soften his heart. I'm asking God that you would open his eyes. That he would understand who Jesus is. Father, I pray that you would use my conversation to draw him to yourself. Help a spiritual conversation come up that I could help him take one step closer to you. Dear God, when I invite him to church, I pray that he would respond. Every one of us should have a list of three or four or five people that don't know Christ. We all have at least five people in our life that we care about, right? Family members and co-workers and friends and neighbors. They don't know Christ. Dear God, I want your kingdom to be established in their life. That's how this prayer sounds like. You're praying evangelistically for God's kingdom in someone's life. The next one, you're praying for God's kingdom ethically. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, the kingdom of God is near. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Now, how do we bring about the kingdom in this case? You repent. There's repentance involved, right? It's a little bit different than bullet point number one. Question, have you ever turned on the TV 
And as you've watched some of the things going on in our country, have you, do you have a feeling that maybe God's not completely pleased with what's going on? Heavenly Father, I love being an American and I love living here and all the freedoms it brings, but I realize that there are many things going on in this country that doesn't please you. Father, I'm asking that we would come back to you as a country, that we would repent of what we're doing, of how we're treating people and how we're taking advantage of this and what we're doing and how we're... God, we want your kingdom to be established back where we live. Whether all the politician or the economist or the professors, whether they come to Christ or not, at least we can please you in the way we live. That's how that prayer sounds like. Does that make sense? The next one, you pray for God's kingdom personally. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 is a very famous verse. We skipped the first three, four words too quickly. Seek ye first his kingdom. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. We love the last part. And then all these things will be given to you. Oh, thank goodness. I want the part I want. First four words. Seek ye first his kingdom. Question. When you start praying and you have your laundry list of stuff, what comes first? Your kingdom or his kingdom? See, when I pray for my kingdom, here's what it sounds like. My job, my family, my finances, my kids, my car, my vacation, my golf game, on and on. That needs a lot of prayer. My kingdom. Now, eventually we get to ask for stuff. We're getting to our daily bread next week. Nothing wrong with asking for stuff. But your kingdom comes first. So this prayer sounds like this. Dear Heavenly Father, before I get into all the stuff that I need, I pray for my church. I pray that we would be able to keep ministering to this community as best as we know how. Father, I pray for all the kids that went to camp, that they would have their lives changed. Father, I pray for the facility issue that we're going on, that we're going through. And I just pray that you would guide our leaders. You would take us to where you want us to go. Father, I pray for every single one of our missionaries and what they're doing and and, and how they're serving and and what's going on in their lives. And Father, I pray for the rescue mission and the great work they're doing, not only of feeding stomachs, but ministering to people's souls. Father, I pray for young life and all the work that they're... And you just go... You're praying for his kingdom. You're praying for his agenda before you get to your agenda. Does that make sense? Personally, I'm going to put my agenda, my kingdom second. I'll get to it, but his kingdom comes first. The last one, I didn't know how... I didn't want to put militarily because that sounded weird. I put spiritually. Ephesians chapter 6 says this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities... And powers of this dark world or dark kingdom. You see, you have God's kingdom at war with the dark kingdom, the enemy's kingdom, Satan's kingdom. They're at war. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to bind the impact and the influence that Satan is having on our schools and our communities. I pray that people would no longer be controlled by drugs and by alcohol. We know it's one of the tools that our enemy and his kingdom uses to, to, to chain people. Father, I pray that you would use me to break these chains of sin and at least live in a way that... You're praying spiritually because we are at war. There is a battle between the two kingdoms. You, you see how you could go on? You could, you could pray just these four bullet points for 20 minutes. Just this. Just the kingdom part. 
Next week, we're going to cover part two. But here's the summary for this morning. I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to wrap up. Here's the summary slide. I want you to point. I want to point out that the first components of the prayer are all God focused. Our relationship with God. Talk to him as you would a dad. Our attitude towards God. Make sure you respect him. He's not your homie. Right. I hear people. uh, Yes, he's your friend, but you got to be careful. There's, There's a respect that comes along with being God. Respect him, right? Our priority, his kingdom first, my kingdom second. It's all God-focused. Next week, we get to all the stuff that we want. But right now, it's all God-focused. I want to close by reading a a story that I came across. I think it'll make sense to you based upon what we've learned today. It says, a man's daughter had asked their pastor to come and to pray with her father. When the pastor arrived, he found the man lying in bed, his head propped up on two pillows and an empty chair beside his bed. The pastor assumed that the very sick older man had been informed of his visit. I I guess you were expecting me, the pastor said. "Uh, No, who are you? I'm the the new pastor at the church and I saw the empty chair and I I figured you knew that I was going to come and visit with you. Oh, oh yeah, the, the chair, the bedridden man said. Would you, would you mind closing the door? Puzzled, the pastor shut the door. I've, I've never told anyone this. Not even my daughter, said the man. But, but all my life, I've never known how to pray. At church, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer, but it always went right over my head. I abandoned any attempt at prayer until one day, four years ago, my best friend said to me, Joe, prayer is just like having a simple conversation, but with Jesus. Here's what I suggest. Sit down. Place an empty chair in front of you. And in faith, see Jesus sitting on that chair. It's not spooky because he promised, I'll be with you always. Just uh, Then just speak to him and listen in the same way you are doing with me right now. So I tried it. And I liked it so much. I continued to do it. Sometimes I talked to the chair for several hours a day. I'm careful, though. If my daughter ever saw me talking to an empty chair, she'd either have a nervous breakdown or send me to the funny farm. The pastor was deeply moved by the story. He prayed with the man, and then he returned to his office at the church. Two nights later, the daughter called to tell the pastor that her dad had died that afternoon. Did he die in peace? The pastor asked. Yes. I left the house around 2 o'clock. He called me over to his bed. He told me one of his corny jokes. I kissed him on the cheek and I left. When I got back from the store about an hour later, I found him dead. But there was something strange. In fact, I would say beyond strange, kind of weird. Apparently, just before daddy died, he leaned over and rested his head on the chair beside his bed. Do you realize how desperately your heavenly dad wants to talk to you? Think about a scenario, and some of us have been in it, when you're living at a home where two people in that home don't even talk to each other. It's pretty dysfunctional. You are living in the household of God and your heavenly father 
wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you. We've learned a lot about prayer this morning, I hope. I want us to put it in practice a little bit. We're going to go back just a couple slides to the example of the four different ways to pray for the kingdom. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. 30 seconds to pray to your Heavenly Father. And I want you to pray evangelistically for someone who hasn't accepted Christ that the kingdom would be established in their life. I want you to pray for the kingdom ethically, something going on in our world or country that's not good and pleasing to God. Pray that that would change. Pray personally, God, I'm sorry I put my kingdom above your kingdom. Or pray spiritually at the war that we're in between our kingdom and Satan's kingdom. Let's bow our heads. Take 30 seconds and pray. Dear God, how we love you. How we love the way you love us. That you are this holy and awesome and magnificent, just majestic God, just beyond our imagination and comprehension. And you love us so that you hear us right here, right now. Those silent whispers of our hearts. Some of them from just bursting with praise and joy. And sometimes those just, oh, from a weeping and sad heart. God, I pray you would encourage our hearts that you hear us. You see us. You protect us. You fight for us, God. You are not deaf to the cries of our heart when worry just presses in. Oh, when fear just seems to kind of creep up behind us, God, and the darkness just seeps in, we are not alone. You hear us, you see us, and you just unashamedly, oh, unabashedly love us. In Psalms, it says you cover us, cover us with your favor as with a shield. And God, I pray you would protect us today. You would protect those words that we have heard and read in your scripture, those promises that you will love us, you adore us, you died for us, you defeated death for us, and we can stand in your presence. How we love you, God. And all of us here in this room said amen. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.